Coming up, Jethro Bovingdon and his 996 Obsession. Brought to you by Nineworks.co.uk, the fastest growing online Porsche community, supported by the Nineworks Marketplace. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, hosted by Lee Sibley, Andy Brooks and Max Newman. Nineworks Radio is carefully produced with special input from experts around the industry and powered by our valued members of the Nineworks Driven Not Hidden Collective. Good afternoon, Max and Andy. <laughs> Good afternoon, how are hey. we? <laughs> Great to be back with the gang. Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks to people at home for tuning in to another episode of Nine Works Radio. Yeah, My name's Lee. One. We're joined by Max Andy. Newman and Andy Brooks. Yeah, the Nine Works regulars. We have got a guest a little bit later on with this show. We're really looking forward to. I know Max in particular is chomping at the bit to speak to our guest. <laughs> You're not going to stop me on this one. <laughs> um, I say chomping at the bit. The conversation has been pre-recorded. We did it a week or so ago. Uh, I was unable to make that one, so apologies to, to Jethro for that. But I trust it was in good hands with you guys. I think we did all right. I think we did all right. We tried yeah. our best for you. Yeah. Didn't let you down. Excellent, excellent. No, I can't so wait to hear it. It was a very enjoyable conversation. In fact, I don't think, I'm not sure if it was Max that we couldn't shut up or um, Jethro that we couldn't shut up. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really good. That's we were in danger of going to a six hour edit, I think, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we're going to have to save the next bit for uh, for another time. I think, there's definitely more. There's definitely more in there. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Always, yeah. always a, a pleasure to have uh, such esteemed guests on. So, yeah, very much looking forward to hearing that along with everybody else. So top work team. Um, any other news? What, what what have you guys been up to? I've been doing lots of admin this week with um, collective members. Um, still piling in. Um, got nearly got everybody's address to send out their stickers. There's a few few laggards, as it were, um, mm-hmm. but nearly there. Um, I've got a couple of new collective members to um, to announce. Uh, first one is Guy Wilson. Uh, he's a privateer. Um, comes from Rickmansworth. He has attended a number of Friday X events in his 996. Um, and a week ago became the lucky and proud owner of the classic giveaways 997. No, what? did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, this a, is the man. what a win. What a win. So he bought two tickets using the discount code from the Nineworks video um, and won the car. Amazing! So, yeah, he's now a two, two Porsche car garage driver driveway. I don't know what you're going to call it. Wow. Yeah, that is man. tops, isn't it? Imagine winning a nine eleven for a tenner. Yeah, amazing. Wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, well done, um, guy. Yeah, well done, guy. Guy is a lovely, lovely chap. He's, I believe, the story with his nine nine six, which is going to be sold now because he has acquired this nine nine seven. Uh, but his 996 he bought for £4,000. Yes. Wow. And if, I'm sure Guy won't mind me saying, but the engine let go and he had to get a rebuild. But even after the rebuild, plus the four grand to buy the car initially, he's still sort of paying what was a couple of years ago, kind of just still average money for a 996. So I'd, I'd say 
was kind of quits in with it all yeah. really maybe um but yes every time a guy turned up at cars and coffee for fried eggs he'd have a roof rack on his 996 it's an original porsche roof rack with something cool and fancy on the top and every time i try and buy that roof rack off him and every time he says no <laughs> no uh, and, now's uh, the time yeah well no so he, he texted and said thanks very much I, i've you know won this 997 and i thought oh the roof rack's coming home roof baby rack, surely, the roof surely. Home. but uh no I've, i think i've been let down there uh, gently oh. the, the roof rack's gonna stay with guys so fair play but guy whenever you sell it yeah it'll fit the 997 but if you yeah. ever want to sell it guy You've got my number, speed dial. <laughs> speed dial. <laughs> so is Guy going to raffle the 996 off then in the spirit of classic giveaways? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, <laughs> I think I think Guy deserves his day in the sun because it's the hardship of having to go through that whole engine rebuild process and whatnot. You know, he deserves deserves the pockets to be lined, I think. And the great yeah, news yeah. is that 996 is going to be a fantastic car for the next custodian. So That's true. Yeah. That's true. He's had the hardship of 996 ownership, so he deserves a bit of... Um, <laughs> something nice yeah yeah um i believe he did all the work himself as well because he has very kindly offered if there's anyone in sort of his rickmansworth area ricky um, yeah a bit of ricky um he said i can offer the use of a car lift and workshop at my school if anyone in the group has a project on a porsche so Ooh. giving a bit back what a fantastic offer guy Tops. so yeah um anybody that's up that way and needs a bit of bit of work or needs you know some some way to do it and give a guy a shout okay yeah can't right. wait to chat to him about that car because i was in that comp as well you know i, I those they're good fun those classic giveaways things and that 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 97 really did look very nice it did didn't really it? nice yeah. spec i can't yeah. wait to see it and uh ask him what it feels like when he realizes it's you or when you get the call or on the instagram live with tom or however it was <laughs> that he found out um, it'd be interesting to to hear what that's like, you know, as you say, Lee, winning a Porsche 911. I mean, who does that? Yeah. Pretty ludicrous. That's good. Yeah. Isn't there a t 996 Turbo? There yes, is. Yeah. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. yeah. So th will that end before the end, before we put this podcast out? I'm not sure. Good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm in the okay. pot mind. Are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's so, I'd, I would love to enter for that 996 Turbo, but, um, I thought I can't win that because like people no. will be crying foul yeah. big time. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to like get a friend to enter for me or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You stay out of that. Leave, leave, yeah, leave the path yeah. clear for me. Yeah. Yeah. It would be genuine. It would be genuine. But yeah, I mean, yeah. 996 Turbo. That's, that's a cracking daily. Cracking daily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Talking of 996 Turbos, um, we have got another new driver uh, and that is Martin Hayes. He was a rookie driver and he has a 996 Turbo in Arctic Silver. Very early one, May, June 2000. That must be one of the one of the first, wasn't it? Um, and he is in Horsham in West Sussex. Um, and I've also got a couple of upgraders as well. Um, both have gone from rookie to works. Thank you, guys. Uh, we've got Mark Fosey and Gareth Orley. Thank you, guys. And, yeah. So that's cool um i've yes. also got a nice little review on apple podcasts which Ooh, we like them we like yeah them. it's been a little while since we've had some so i'd like to drum up a bit of um support if i could um but we got this from loving the twisties i'll read it out if i may enjoyable listening five stars found this podcast about two months ago i'm obsessed with porsche and the guys are really good at feeding that obsession I like the discussion of, of variety 
of aspects of Porsche ownership, not just how much money the cars are worth. I especially draw on to the driven, not hidden mantra. I own a 981 Boxster GTS, and it's clear that they appreciate the non-911 models too. Thanks, gentlemen. Love the twisties. Um, awesome. I believe he's in the US. So That's great, isn't awesome. it? That's yeah. a lovely review. And yes, as you said, Andy, and any more reviews are very welcome, particularly the five-star variety. Yeah, that would be fantastic if you could say, so, yeah, drumming up. <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just while we're on the subject of news, um, it's worth pointing out, by the way, that we're going to get back to confessions next episode. We are aware yeah. we haven't done any for a little while. We have got some, but we would like to hear more of yours. So if you've got an automotive confession of any sort, please email us hello at nineworks.co.uk or straight to Andy at andy at nineworks.co.uk or via any of our DMs and we'll read them out and share. And it's, as we've said previously, a nice lighthearted uh, part of the pod where we can all remain human and humble <laughs> uh, other people's <laughs> yeah. misfortunes and misdemeanors but yes we, we will return to our confessions next week um it's just that our interview this episode it's, it is quite a long one so we want to dive into that as soon as possible beforehand i just want to say a big congratulations to nick taylor and carrie mason uh nick is now uh, gm at porsche club gb voted voted as so uh, last week so he's spearheading that club and if, if the club is going to be run anything like region 31 has in the last couple of years well that's going to be to absolutely everybody's benefit so congratulations nick nick has also brought carry on to the board as well um by way of like i think it was a legal advisor i think i've got that right yes i think so yeah both nick and carry are part of the nine works driven not hidden collective as well so a massive congratulations to two of our members on absolutely. that yeah, a couple of great appointments there. As you say, you know, Nick taking the helm there, I think that's a re that's really good for yeah. Porsche Club GB. I really without do. a doubt, without a doubt. Um, on to just some Nineworks stuff. So we've got our first car meet, Cars and Coffee of the year. It's uh, Fried Eggs and Friends. So it's 996 and 986 derived, but all Porsche welcome. It's at Porsche. I'm yeah, you are, Andy. You're repping, and I know you want um, anti-fried eggs to overtake the 996 no, no. and 986 yeah, yeah. brigade. Yeah. <laughs> anti, uh, mate, the friends is, to take <laughs> Yes, exactly. Emphasis on the friends. Uh, yeah, it, we've linked up with Steel City Porsche. So, Richard at Steel City, thank you for that. It's at Porsche Centre Sheffield. That's on Saturday the 11th of March from 9am to midday. It is a ticketed event. You need one ticket per car. Uh, unfortunately, I'm looking just now at our ticket allocation. There's one ticket left. Oof. I very much hope that's gone by the time this goes out. But if you have a ticket and you can't make it, please relinquish it to allow others to come along who aren't able to do so currently. We make it a ticket event just so we can manage numbers uh, effectively. But yep, Still City, Fried Eggs, Saturday the 11th of March. On the following week, Saturday the 18th of March, we're on track. I know we've spoken about this briefly before, but we've linked up with RMA for a Porsche-only track day up at Donington. It's a fantastic circuit, Donington. Uh, the I think it's 105 decibel noise limit. I will check that, but it's pretty lenient. Most Porsche will be able to get on. But the fact it is, uh, it does have a noise limit means there won't be cup cars and whatever whizzing past you. So if you want to dip your toe in the water for Porsche track days, this is a good one. We'll be there. We've got our own pits. Uh, if you want to sign up, just head straight to the RMA website direct. And then maybe just drop us an email, let us know you're going. 
if you don't want to go on track but would like to attend, there's a Porsche Park Fermi area, which is going to be exclusive to Nineworks members. You're very welcome to park in there and then come along and see what the track day is all about. Again, if you want to do that, just email us, hello at nineworks.co.uk. Right, Max, I think you've uh, teed up a marketplace gem of the week, haven't you? I have indeed. I have indeed. What have you got? There are some bangers on there at the moment, by the way, like big, big, big variety. There really are. There really are. Um, This week, it could be quite a difficult choice, actually, because there's so much good stuff that I've been looking at. Um, But I've chosen a particular car just because of something that happened to me last weekend, which we're going to talk about in due course on the the pod, because it's an ongoing project that I'm involved in. Um, But at um, at Paragon, um, which I noticed earlier this week, actually, they've added to their stock a G-Series um car so it's a um 1987 so a g50 32 carrera sport coupe in classic guards red you know you'd struggle i think certainly for people of my age to find a more iconic 911 uh than this um and typically of paragon it's you know it's pretty sensational it's only done 59,000 miles and the things from 1987 it oh. looks absolutely beautiful you know almost oh. like time warp stuff you know if you wanted to go back and you know pretend you're in the 80s get your braces on i'm not sure you could find a better car than this but <laughs> reason it's pertinent for me this week is because i mean i have i've driven some g-series cars over i think the first 911 i drove was a g-series because my dad had a shonky old left-hand drive 3-2 back in the day uh, which I span actually the first time I drove it um, on the infield at um, Silverstone, but that's that's a story for another <laughs> day. Maybe that's a confession. I'll, yeah, I'll do that as a confession. Um, but last weekend I drove a car very similar to this and was completely bewitched by it. I've really fallen for the idea of three two Carreras. Yeah, um, I just let's not talk them up too much, eh, Max? Let's well, not talk yeah, up. yeah, um, and. <laughs> And I can't imagine that there'd be a better example if I was in a position to actually buy one. So um, have a look on the marketplace at this Guards Red example at Paragon. It's just, it's just lovely. But I think we said before on the podcast, certainly to my mind, quintessential 80s 911 is a Guards Red 3.2 with the Whale Tail, the Sport Pack. To yeah. me, that that is just 911 defined of the era. And, and that example there is an absolute beauty. Yeah, it really is. It's really something special. Yeah. Nice. Great shout, Max. Great shout. Amazing. Right, should we get on to our guest? Yes. Yes. Jethro Bovington, the one and only. Uh, What can we say about Jethro? Well, I think he's just, uh, has he finished the last episode of Top Gear over in the US? He has, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. which has been his latest gig. Um, He started his career at Evo. Um, was like the apprentice boy doing all the tea, being a tea boy, got the can of detailing spray in his mop. It probably wasn't mop back then, wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't such things as uh, dry, like drying towels and things like that. So yeah, um, what, a, what a story uh, we've got in, in ready for you to listen to. Yeah, a much anticipated guest, I think. You know, there's been a real appetite amongst the collective to get Jethro on if we can. So, Very true. Um, you know, credit to Andy for ma- uh, managing that, and uh, yeah, real privilege to have Jethro on the conversation on the conversation with us. And it was it was great. It was great fun. Real great conversation. Can't wait. Can't wait to share it with everyone. 
Absolutely. Right, let's roll. Welcome to Nineworks Radio, Jethro Bovington. Hello, thank you for having me. Good day. Really, really, really pleased to uh, have you on. It's a, it, it's a real pleasure and a, and a privilege. Good to, thank you. Well, I'm pleased to be here. I'm intimidated by your knowledge because uh, I, I feel like I used to have a huge amount of knowledge about lots of things. And then as I get older and drive more cars, it all goes out the window. So I'm not as good <laughs> at, at names and colours as I used to be, but um, I'll try and fly the flag for my Porsche credentials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are pretty... Um... We're pretty Porsche focused and obviously looking forward to well definitely going to ask you about the 996 there's no doubt about that yes. but we'll come on to that come on to that later on because you know and the other thing that we're interested in everybody's really interested in is obviously talk to you about the Evo days you know everyone of a certain age is into certain cars you know as as you know has loved Evo or still loves Evo um yeah, and absolutely. you know the things that came before it so we're, we're we're really keen to to hear about that but something I really want to ask you about and it feels like a good place to start you know because it's where we all come from you know the influence of our families you know you came from a family with a section ds so that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. cool place to start yeah. i mean that well, you're coming I, yeah, from good car stock there yeah so my granddad was um an architect so he had citrons because of course had yeah. citrons, citrons or saabs and um i would say fortunately he went down the citron route so he yeah. had ds's back in the day um and then he bought a brand new sm in or maybe it was an ex-demo sm in like 1972 or something um but he doesn't like cars at all or didn't like cars not into cars just they were citrons and they were cool looking and i think that's what you bought but my dad obviously was really into cars and was inspired by um his his dad's cars basically so he was always a citron guy um which means my first car when I was born, the first car I drove ever in was a D Super that my dad Fantastic. owned. I think it was a D Super Five, his one. And then, um, and then he bought a lovely dark blue. That was a white car. Then he bought a lovely dark blue Palace Twenty Three FI with a semi-auto box and everything. Um, and then he had a, a whole. He always had. He, he worked for you know printers and companies like that. So they always had a company car scheme. Yeah, he always opted out of the the new car and got the money. And so he had all sorts of lovely stuff, you know, Lancia Gamma Coupes and um, what else did he have? I mean, then he went on to like, he had an E34 M5 that was a few years old. He had some nice. series. So he had a Skyline for a bit, um, a Skyline DTR, R33, wow. which he had a nightmare with because that was when, um, it was a lovely thing. It was super cool. But it was, yeah. it was when people were basically nicking cars in Japan. Yeah importing them to the uk and then flogging them and it was right at the early part of that which so no one really knew about it but anyway it ended up being a stolen car so he <laughs> no so he lost the car and he lost a load of money as well it was, a, it was a really weird setup but um yeah but he always had cool stuff so and and so i always grew up in that environment where yeah. um my brother my brother's a mechanic my other brother's super into cars my dad was into cars so it was like um inevitable i guess yeah, you're proper proper born into it then yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's quite a broad church as well you know I, I like to tell myself that i'm a car enthusiast first and a porsche guy second you know so what was your thing you know were you a jdm guy or a bmw guy or a citroen guy yeah what did um, you want? i would say bmw um and then when i was you know i i was a young kid so ferrari i loved ferrari um and lambo and stuff my dad 
who, funny enough, now has a 996, but he did not like Porsches. He was not into Porsches at all. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I grew up reading car magazines, Porsches won every test mm. um, to the point where I was like, this is a fix. It can't be true. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I refuse to believe these cars are this much better than everything. So I wasn't um, by any means a Porsche evangelist um, back when I started. I don't think I'd ever I've been in, I don't know if I'd even been in a 911 um, before I started Evo. My dad was actually into, he had, he had a Maserati Quattroport. So he was he was into all sorts of weird stuff. And he bought an SM. So my dad's got an SM. He's got a Maserati Quattroport for. Oh, he's still got those? Yeah. yeah oh, which, wicked. Which is still in bits. It's in, always in bits. Um, so yeah, I wasn't super into Porsche. And then um, I guess that's where the 996 story started because very early at Evo when I got the job, there was a big um, group test. It was issue 31 or 32, I think. And they had R34 Skyline, which I was really into. Um, TVL Tuscan M3. So E46 M3 was the new car. RS4 yeah. and a Bogo Silver 996 Carrera on little wheels. Didn't look much. And then John took me from Bedford Autodrome. We had to go and pick up another car at the office, which was probably a 15, 20-minute cross-country drive. Yeah. Um, and John Barker drove me in the car, and I just couldn't believe how good it felt. Um, helped just from the passenger seat. Yeah, because he's such a good driver. It, it yeah. helped. He was driving it, but it felt so good and so supple and so much more together than the other cars, in, yeah. even from the passenger seat. And then we got to the office. He jumped into whatever other car it was, and I jumped in, and I got to drive the Porsche back, and that was it. That was the start of my, my um my Porsche discovery, I guess. And then I grew up with 996s and 997s through the job, turbos, GT3s, GT2s, all that stuff. So I'm a, I'm much more of a water-cooled guy yeah. than an air-cooled guy. I, I've, I've been lucky enough to drive a lot of those air-cooled cars now, and they're, they're fantastic. But when I think of my dream garage, it does have a lot of water-cooled stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I probably came to it at a similar time, and I, I didn't approach it with quite such a critical eye as you did. I was I was approaching it thinking, oh "My God, what if I don't like it?" Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, what when you yeah, when you got one? I, yeah, I was the yeah because I was yeah. building it up in my mind. I had yeah. spent so many years building it up in my mind. My mind. So the new car was the Gen Two Nine Nine Seven. So it's that sort of time. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. was looking at you know nine nine sixes and early nine nine sevens that I was I was going to buy. So I went to. Porsche Experience Center at Silverstone, booked myself onto an experience there. So I was going to be driving a, you know, a Gen 2 997. And I was a bit worried because I thought, oh my God, if I don't like it, you know, where do, what does it mean to my life? Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah I spent yeah. 35 years dreaming about this car. <laughs> it's funny as well. As they're, they're almost, um, well, they are. They're, they're more than the components that they, they possibly can be. Cause when you look at the detail of what everything, it, it's like quite a regular thing. There's no, nothing special about like the inside or how it feels initially, but then once you've driven it, you exactly as you did on your first, you know, bum in a passenger seat. Yeah, you felt the difference, and it's like there's actually something. Yeah, there was an, there's definitely an epiphany moment because yeah, I don't know. People always Evo still gets criticised for um, mm. Porsche bias, which is actually ridiculous because if you look in the last few years, I think Evo's been more critical of Porsches than anyone probably. Um, yeah. But I put it down, you know, pretty simply, you, meet, you go and meet the guys at Porsche and they actually care about steering feel and brake pedal feel and all of those things that make a great car. And they yeah. strive 
to do it. And because they're constantly chipping away at a formula that's already set, the incremental gains, yeah, add them all up, and suddenly, you know, all these millions of incremental gains is a huge, huge margin over a lot of other stuff. And a, a lot of other companies are starting with a fresh sheet every time. Yeah. If you look at the M department at BMW, who are doing fantastic work at the moment, I have to say, but they're working with a car that they don't have that much say in in the first place. You know, mm, they're, yeah. they're working on a base car that, that isn't a sports car, if you like. So yeah. I think that's where Porsche scores that they care. And, they, and they've just got, you know, nowadays, now they're so successful, their engineering staff and budgets and just the technology they use, it makes it very difficult for um, for other people to get close, really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite nice that you came at that point as well, because when you're when you're in the in the Porsche world, and sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees, and people are unkind about 996s, you could almost get the impression that a 996 isn't a very good car. But you know, if you go back, you know, I occasionally pull out when I'm up at my mum's house, I pull out my old auto car road test yearbooks and things like that, and you look at the 996 launch, it's basically the best car in the world. You know, it's better than a 993. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's good. It's good to look back at those. Things, yeah, just to be reminded is the only car i know that i never saw it lose group test i don't think in in the history of its uh model span basically wow. i don't think i ever saw a carrera or a gt3 maybe a turbo might have lost the old test because they put them up against you know diablo six you know vts yeah. and stuff like that but it basically was loved and now you would believe that it was hated it's like yes. the opposite yeah. of um it's like the opposite of a Honda S2000. Like everyone thought the S2000 was crap when it was new and when it was out because it was spiky and it was not much fun and it didn't have any torque and all these things. But now you think it was the greatest car ever, you know, produced yeah. by mankind, you know. So it's, yeah, it's had the, the 996 has had the opposite journey in its lifetime. It's gone from being loved to, and fair enough, there, there were problems with it, as everyone knows, and, and Porsche have had to admit to in the States particularly. But um, as a car, when you look at it and it's like, okay, it's lighter than a 993, it's like 40% stiffer, it's a proper thing. I think they're great. I think they're great. And they're also, they're a great basis, as I've found out, for for doing what Porsches were really about, which I like about them, is that making it your own. Um, yeah. And it's a shame in some ways that the values have become so ridiculous with a lot of the cars that, everyone's scared to do that anymore that that's what i used to quite like about porsches and i understand the desire to keep them standard certain cars but the great thing about them is so much interchangeable stuff and how big the aftermarket is for them as well so you can make your 911 whatever you want it to be which is i i think it's great you know that no yeah. there's no other car in the world that has such a breadth of capability and can have so many personalities basically so that that's that's something i love about 911s yeah i agree with that and um, one of the great I, things about evo in its in, 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 in its heyday if we're allowed to use that 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 phrase was you know the the such creativity that was there and with harry's enthusiasm and his you know yeah. and his metal financially you know there, there were 993s you know he brought 993s in into the picture yeah. so what sort of stuff did you get the chance to go back and drive you know as you came in in the 996 era um well i drove i luckily enough we organized i can't remember what issue it would have been but we did like uh oh well it was when 996 gt2 came out um and porsche gb had that red press car we did a sort of greatest 911 ever um 
So we had 2.7 RS, 3 litre RS, 9.64 RS, 9.59, 9.93 RS, 9.93 GT2, um, 9.963. Um, yeah, we had everything. It's madness, um, isn't it? When uh, nine in club sport. So we we had we had the lot basically. That's just mad to think that um, that's twenty years ago, and most of those cars were like still fairly new. Uh, it's 20 years gone but yeah and imagine amazing. this is when this is when 964s were literally the track day car of choice because yeah. they, they were perennially 16 to 22 grand and people who did a lot of track days knew that you could get them and beat the crap out of them over and over again yeah the 964s were all tatty not all but there was a huge every track day you went on had a lot of 964 rs's so the 964 rs at the time was a yeah 20 five grand car 30 grand car the, the 2.7 rs i think we insured it for i don't know 55 grand something like that you know it, it was nothing um and we had lord mexper's car so we used to borrow his stuff up in Europe. Yeah. so we did it up on the moors so we had his 2.7 his three liter rs and his 959 and then we built the test around that um so I got an education and the, and the weather was obviously, it was Yorkshire, so it was changeable weather all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a pretty good, I got a pretty good understanding of what 911s are all about and, and that the really special ones, it doesn't matter if they're six months old or 30 years old, you know, they're going to, they're, they're special cars uh, yeah. for a reason. So yeah, I, I got to drive a lot of stuff. And then I actually had, when Harry bought a 993 Carrera for the mag, I ran that for, six months or so brilliant um so that was pretty cool i guess i was i don't know what i've been 25 or 26 and work wow. gives you a 993 to play with for six <laughs> months. so so what yeah sort of memories do you have of that now fond memories of that yeah i enjoyed it a lot um my worst memory of it is someone keyed it outside my house but Oof. um yeah i it was just lovely to have a car like that for for all for everyday use and to understand why the the size of it and the fact it's relatively undercover. I feel like the Porsche cult has grown so quickly since those days that yeah. back then, if you had a silver 993 on 17-inch wheels, you know, no one would look twice almost, you know. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't like they are now. So it was a lovely undercover thing. And it was just a quality item, you know. It was it was really good fun. Did a couple of track things on it. Um didn't have a diff and all that sort of stuff. So there were a few compromises, but as a car to live with, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it. And it was, again, all the qualities you'd expect of a Porsche. It just kept on trucking. We just put fuel and serviced it, and that was it, basically. So, yeah, fantastic thing. Um, although my heart was probably already with the slightly newer cars by that point. <laughs> so on that greatest 911s test, uh do you have any memories of a car standing out or anything standing out from that? 2.7 RS, I think. Um, there's just something special about that car. The balance of performance to lightness, the feel, the feedback, the way, you know, you, you, this, I feel like I'm preaching to the converted, but the, the way you have to drive a 911 is quite particular, um, yeah. especially those early cars. And once yeah. you've worked that out, you're in heaven basically because nothing else quite feels the same um and the the further you go back and the smaller and narrower the cars get the the more options you feel like you get on the road so rather yeah. than now you would probably drive it a bit more with its value in mind but rather than feeling 
sort of imprisoned by how important the car is or what value it is you feel completely free because it's actually such a lovely easy thing to drive and they can still i remember dicky i didn't do these things back at that point but dicky did the cornering shots in the 2.7 and i remember it just looked so good it was coming around this long left hander probably a third gear corner and it wasn't fully sideways and fully lit or anything but it was it had attitude and it was coming around this and it just looked so good and i was like yeah that's that's probably the one so i loved that um i remember overtaking about 25 cars in a 959 when the second i remember driving that back we must have been driving back to the hotel and i was in it and it it was quite a soft car it was a comfort car so they're quite soft and they've got that weird delivery um where you get the one turbo and then you get the real big bang but in those they're so soft you almost get a delay it's like the second turbo starts to boost the suspension sort of rocks under the torque effect and then it fires you into the distance but yeah i remember i think i must have taken like 25 cars in one hit we just came to a straight and i saw it and i pulled out hit it and just bang that thing was yeah so that was extremely cool uh, what else was fun? I mean, it, it was an amazing uh, couple of days. The 996 GT2, the press car was set up really strangely. I think they were terrified people were going to just keep reversing it into hedges, basically. Um, <laughs> so they set it up really understeery, which sounds safer, but is obviously not, because the last thing you want in a 911, if you get a lot of understeer, especially in a turbo car, and then it... Um, the boost lights up then you yeah. get a lot of oversteer in a hurry and you have very little chance to do much about it so that didn't feel great um but yeah and the the the, the sc felt fantastic as well uh really heavy steering um so really physical car but just yeah. it, it captured so much of that 2.7 rs feel in a slightly more modern uh package and yeah at the time again they were cheap as chips so yeah different world. yeah yeah that's a car that you really like isn't it andy the three oh, two I do. club sport yeah. i think that's that's a real cognoscenti car even now i think isn't there really yeah i don't think people know that much about them but they're yeah to drive so they feel so pure and so yeah. mechanical and so physical and um, i remember the owner was a really enthusiastic guy and he was and he was saying how the fuel load makes such a difference and he was yeah like, he, 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 what did he, i think his line was like with half a tank of fuel at the Nürburgring, it's like the best car in the world. But it was like, unfortunately, you don't get you don't get many. Yeah, cars yeah. Like the fuel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. But yeah, no, so I was extremely lucky. And um, yeah, what sort of year was that? That would have been 2000. when did the GT2 come out. Would that have been the first one? Did that have been two thousand and two? Would it have been? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so. so that was been, really yeah. early. Oh, on in your career then? Yeah, I was still a baby at that point, and I. I was getting the hang of the cars, definitely, um, yeah. but I wouldn't have been volunteering to do cornering shots in a in a two point seven or a GT two. Were you the guy with the kettle and the um, and the quick detail? Yeah, the cleaner, the cleaner, and uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. And I, the great thing about Evo is, um, and I think this is what's unique for me when I joined was that it was it very much was a family business. It was before Dennis had come in. And they care, you know, those guys cared so deeply about the product that yeah. it wasn't like these days, if you start on a car magazine, you're like within two minutes, you're doing 
first drives for the website and this yeah. and the, other. And the truth is you don't know anything because you're fresh to it and you haven't driven yeah. anything and you, you haven't had that context and been around people who know what they're talking about whereas at evo they just that there's no way they were going to put their reputation on the line with someone who was so fresh so they booked cars in for me week on week and then i drove them and then i wrote stuff about them but not to be published just for them to see and give feedback yeah. on yeah so i learned like a proper apprenticeship yeah and it was an apprenticeship and then i would sit in the cars i was the guy who got to learn how the race logic it was like the first lot of race logic equipment when i was yeah. soon after i turned up so i got to be the guy who did that but that means i sat in the cars when they were doing lap times and figures and so i got to see how it was done properly and and John and Dickie are both great drivers, so I learned yeah. a lot from them. And they're completely different, which the way they drive cars is different. So it is fun to see two people get to an end result in a similar mm. a similar end result, but different ways. So, yeah, I was just given this huge, um, I don't know, just this this sort of uh, foundation for, for what I would go on to yeah. do, which was, yeah. which was mega. And it almost feels you're like the last, um, the generation that would get that education. I think one of, because a couple of reasons. Firstly, no, no real internet worry, certainly yeah. not the constant hungry machine that it is now. Um, secondly, obviously, we were pretty independent. So Harry could Harry and the publisher, Alan, at the time could choose how to spend the money however they wanted. So we didn't, we weren't getting beaten over the head with, um, with costs all the time. And then also we, the mag was very successful at the time and we were selling oh, yeah. and making a decent chunk of money, which meant we hired tracks regularly and everything else. So what uh, and so when I wasn't doing the figures, being in the car while they're being lapped or whatever, which I would learn a lot, but then they'd go off and do photography. But we'd we'd have Bedford Autodrome often, which is huge. Um, yeah. it was the early days of Bedford as well. So while they're on the West Circuit doing photography, I'd have the North Circuit or whatever completely to myself just to play around so I could go there and spin Amazing. 150 times and yeah. and then maybe Dickie would come over and he'd be like, oh, I'll follow you for 10 laps. So he'd follow me and watch what I'm doing and give me feedback. And wow. he sent me to um, high performance club stuff with John Lyon. And, you know, that. so I was very lucky. Um, I got to do yeah. came from Academy because they wanted me to do some racing. And it, yeah, I feel eternally grateful to you. And I'll always, I'll always have a love for the mag. I, uh, yeah, I, I, one day it'd be great if we could all just cut together and buy it. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Sadly. I talk of it in terms of, of feeling like a family business, and it's you know it's well known that Harry, you know, sort of bankrolled it. But you know, John and Dicky, they had skin in the game, didn't they? You know, they, they, it, yeah. They, so the partners were John Dicky, uh, Damien, the art director, yeah, Damien Smith, Alan Patterson, the publisher, and Harry. So they yeah. they were the they were the founders effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and and they all had the other thing that was great, and I've only appreciated this since having been to hundreds of different mags and businesses and stuff. Is it was a proper democracy in terms of we'd sit round and have meetings, ideas, etc. And Harry has his particular taste, and there'd be certain cars he would be desperate to do stuff on. Yeah, and we'd be like, no way! Like, that's, <laughs> we, we all hate that car, and we're not doing it. And he would never just like throw his toys out of the pram. It would just be like, okay, it was, it was a really good. I hate hierarchy. I have a real problem with um, 
anywhere you go and people feel stifled that they can't talk and tell you yeah. what they think, I, to me, it's the death of creativity. So I hate it. And I think I'd part of that is because Evo was very, it obviously was a hierarchy, but it didn't feel like it. You went mm. in, you said what you felt and you did your best and everyone appreciated it. And if your idea was better than John's or Dickie's that day, because you just got lucky with a better idea, then that's what you did, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic place to, to grow up and grow into the business basically. In terms of that apprenticeship side of things, you know, that driving element, we can see how that worked. But I, what about the writing side of things? How did, how, how, what was the learning process there? Cause, cause Dickie, I'm, I'm, and I've told him this, I'm a great fan of the way he, 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 yeah. he, he writes, you know, how did that work? Um, well, Dickie is a great writer. He's just trying to get words out of him. That's <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took notice not to uh, follow his work practice, which is start at 3 a.m. the day before the the, the, the teacher's doing. Um, well, he's, he's obviously a man that works well under focus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And stress. Does. Yeah, yeah or, or blind panic, as, as <laughs> we might also call it. Um, Peter Tomlin was the sub-editor. At Evo at the time, oh, yeah, yeah, um, and he is a brilliant writer uh, and a brilliant sub. It's so good that I, I swear to God, you could send him a two thousand word feature, and he could cut it to fourteen hundred words. And you, if you reread it, you wouldn't know. Even if you'd written it, you wouldn't know where the cuts were. You'd be like, "Yeah, I did that." You know, he was, yeah. he was <laughs> so good, um, the best I've ever worked with. So. I, I used to send stuff to him, him and Dickie and John, basically, and then I'd just get their feedback. Um, and so I'm sure Peter flattered me in the early few, two or three years because he would have just polished whatever I um, sent in to, to make it better. I'm, I'm yeah. certain of that. That's, that's his art, basically. That's what he's so good at. Um, and then it's just practice. And I think it's like anything, isn't it? It's not just the writing you do, but it's finding your own voice in amongst um mm, all style. the other people and that's tricky at evo because it's it's quite intimidating because i yeah. i loved what john and dickie did and big fan of the mag and everything so you go in it's pretty scary um to meet these guys and then the first time you hand them a bit of work is also pretty scary um but luckily we all got on very well and so it, it made it a lot easier but yeah peter was instrumental i would say in just knocking off the rough edges and then yeah, I think over the years you grow up, you get to know what you like. Um, and most of it is having a relationship with the readers, which I think Evo has been really good at as well. Yeah. So people who write, read what I write now, they know what I'm about, I guess. And yeah. if, if you know what someone's about, you can you can understand and relate to what they're saying. And you might disagree with it, but you know that personality. And I think that is a bit lacking um, in some of the mags we see at the moment you know it's yeah. like faceless almost so yes yeah and and if you're not writing from the point of view of your own take on things then it can't help but just be generic you know yeah i think that's true i think there was a time you could start to read an article and uh have a feeling for who's writing you are reading mm. you know you wouldn't have to go back to the front yeah. and see words by and photos by you know you could you could kind of get that yeah these days perhaps it's not quite the same yeah. yeah, I think there's just so many pressures now. Um, so much copy to crank out. And Evo, yeah. again, was great. Even even in those days, there were people on the launch circuit and you'd go on a launch, they'd drive the car, 
that afternoon and evening they're bashing out their words and there are times you have to do that but i personally hate that because yeah um you need a car to settle in your brain a little bit you know mm. you you need to put it into context and especially if it's something completely new you need to sort of let it run around your head a bit before you calculate to it yeah yeah that's interesting actually something where actually I was just going to blow smoke up your ass, but now that we've talked about this, let's look at it in a different context. Um, and I actually sent you a message about this because I was so taken with it. The Evo article that you did with the GT4 RS and the NSXR yeah, and the yeah, Lambo, yeah. so the cover story, I I picked that up partway through the Eurostar to Paris in September, um, and I hadn't finished it as we as we pulled into Garden Ord, and I was I was gutted. And as we were getting off the train, I sent you a DM on Instagram. Because I, I was completely captivated oh, by, by, yeah, by that story. And I said, Jethro, I'm reading this and it's bloody brilliant. And I'm getting off the train now, but I can't wait to pick it up again. Something like that, amongst the thousands of other DMs that you, or that you did reply, which is very kind. So the, the, the way that you were able to write that story, because that felt like an Evo story of old to me. Well, it did. And I was very pleased we did it. It was one of those that I wanted to do. And so effectively, I arranged it and then told them it was happening not not quite like that but <laughs> that's sort of where i wanted i wanted to make it so they couldn't say no because it was too yeah. good a story yeah um and they didn't which was which was brilliant so we got to do it and it's not every day you get to write about cars that good you know nsxr is just absolutely mind-blowing speciality is out of this world uh fantastic mm. the G, the gt4 rs was such a long-awaited car so it's if you've got the right location right cars it it comes pretty easy and it to me on the test itself it felt like an old evo test as well we had such a great time it's just harder and harder these days purely because of you imagine even just getting four cars to the south of france yeah terms of fuel before you talk about paying people to be there getting hotel rooms getting food um yeah it, it, it's become harder and harder but it's a shame because i would happily spend i don't know three or four weeks a year in route napoleon would be yeah <laughs> would yeah ideal. it's the best place so um yeah it was a great thing to do yeah something that springs to mind in terms of route napoleon going back to the or sticking on the porsche theme i think it was ecoti uh 991.1 gt3 uh yeah. red car which i think beat the f12 yeah i think yeah. that year and that's in the you know that's in the video era and I, you know, that's a car that I've driven, one of the 911s I've, I've driven and really enjoyed. And I watched that video because that was a big transition. And, yeah. you know, from 997, GT3, all the, all the things that that offered to that is a big transition. And, and I remember watching that and feeling because I really wanted to know. So I was seeking, you know, people like me would seek out the opinions of people like you. As as you say, you know, you look for certain people's opinions on, on things. And there was a maybe a tinge of sadness but also some real joy in the way that you spoke about that car but also in the video you know the way that you're driving that car that I and mean, that 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 made me think man that car even before i'd driven a 0.1 gt3 i thought that is a mega car yeah it was great i remember that it was one of those great ecotes that you often there was a lot of pressure points on time i can't remember quite what happened but we ended up shooting the video effect we shot the entire onboard talking stuff with how many other cars it was i don't know if it was 10 or 12 or something but we did that all in one day and the gt3 i think we did at the final final thing on the last day it was getting dark and they were like sellotaping gopros to my head and all this sort of stuff it was like it was real last knockings 
Um, but I had one really good drive in that. Uh, the year before, we'd been in the UK, um, and it was the year the McLaren 12C came out. Yeah. Um, and I'd missed out on the first round of drives. And I went out with Henry in his 12C, and it was near, it was in Lincolnshire, I think it was near around Blyton Park. And he drove it so fast. Um, and I didn't really know what McLaren's were all about. No one did at that point. And uh, I was like, this is deeply unpleasant. <laughs> it was such <laughs> an unpleasant experience to be in the passenger seat. Um, yeah, I did not enjoy it at all. But And then I drove the car and I got to understand how quick it could be and everything. But it was just a horrible experience. But that year in that GT3, I remember I was I was pissed off for some reason. I hadn't had enough time because we'd been doing a million things. I was like, I need one more drive in this GT3 to see if it's as good as I think it is. So we were, we were up on this hill and we came down and then ran alongside the valley and, and Henry came with me. I said, I'll drive out and you drive back. And I think because I was, I'd been flat out doing other stuff and I was like, I just want a really good drive. And I drove the thing on the door handles. I remember it absolutely as fast as I could drive this thing. And uh, <laughs> I think Henry had exactly the same experience <laughs> that I'd had the year before. And we got out and he was like, hey, back. He was like, I don't think I'm going to drive quite as quick on the way back. And I was like, no, that's fine. But it was just one of those drives. And I remember there's a long left-hand hairpin on the way back to this garage where we stopped. And I and I knew I was going quick, but you sort of get into that mindset. And the roads around there, there was no one on the road, so it's like a closed road. I remember just turning in and the car slid. And I was like, oh, I am going. Like, I, I was suddenly like aware of how quick I was going. And, and I just lit it up all the way around this corner. And it was like one of the last corners we did. And I was like, wow, that was, that was one of those drives that you that you won't forget in a hurry. Never yeah, forget Henry had yeah. To, it's the sort of drive you normally have on your own. But um, yeah. unfortunately, for him, I had to bear witness to it. <laughs> I think some of that video, maybe, I don't know if it's 20 or 30 seconds, is just GoPro over the rear exhaust. Yeah. And it's not to the detriment. It adds to the... To yeah, the whole yeah, thing, yeah. you know, you think that could be boring, but it isn't. Because yeah, there's the sliding brilliant. and there's the, you know, the flashes yeah, and the exhaust. Yeah. It's, it's bloody brilliant. Yeah, we've had some good times. And, and that's the one thing I think that I try and keep. I, no matter how many times I do it, and I know I'm older now and I'm jaded and there's certain things we do and I'm like, oh God, we're doing this again. But the actual being in the car and driving is, is I never get bored of that. I love it. And if I get a cool car in for, even at home for a week, I'll get up early in the morning and go and thrash it around on some roads. I know, like, I I just love that. I'd, I'd happily never do a video again. Um, yeah. <laughs> because it's a huge amount of work and you get, I mean, you get so much scrutiny from so many people and it's, it's uh, which is completely understandable and you put yourself out there, you're, you're bound to. But it's just sometimes hard to take if you've, if you've been working really hard at something. But, uh, the driving, I would never give up on. I absolutely love the cars, and I, yeah, that's what that's why I don't have a proper job. Um, <laughs> it's because I adore the driving. I absolutely love it. And car of the year this year, we just did. We did it up in like Northumberland and Scottish Borders, and it was just one of those weeks where everyone had like four or five epic drives, um, yeah. and it just makes it all worthwhile. It's yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. In, in terms of the video landscape at the moment, I mean, me and a lot of people who, who watch this, you know, are magazine guys and I still love magazines. Yeah. But the video landscape has evolved. You know, some of these influencers have grown yeah. up. Some of them have faded away. Some of them are trying to carve a different niche out for themselves. So you're doing proper telly stuff now, big 
star in the stage. What what do you think of car content on um, online now? Mostly awful. <laughs> I here's the problem with video. So there's there's there are two extremes. The one is scripted video, mm-hmm. which I completely hate because. Yeah. Um, you don't get anyone's opinion of the car effectively you get their script because once most people once they've got a script do not want to veer away from it no matter what what happens in the day because it's like their little thing they can control um and the other and uh, this is and they're completely opposite and it doesn't make sense in some ways but you you know i said earlier about you need time to let a car settle in your brain yeah you don't have that with video like that's the truth like i'm going to go and do this aston martin valkyrie for example I don't know for sure. We'll probably get six laps in the car. And on lap four, I'll have to be doing video. So you get a visceral experience of what that person is reacting to at the time. Mm. And it's really, that's why not scripting is really important because you want that flow of just pure um, stream of consciousness almost and emotion. But there's not much thoughtfulness in that. You, you don't get that time to to think of the context and to let the experience settle into your brain a bit and and figure out where it sits so mm. it's a really difficult space I, I don't think there's many people who do it really really well um but at the same time i recognize it's bloody hard work and i've yeah. done some that i like and others that i think are rubbish and i wish i hadn't done mm. um that's, you just that's a to- really interesting thought i've just i was comparing that to holidays that i've been on so i've been away i went to south america and um we did a big tour around argentina and it was at the time it felt like what the hell is going on and then like i don't know like a a few weeks later it was like oh my god that was the most amazing thing because this happened this happened this happened and it was the time to you know it took time for that to to form in your mind so i can see the relationship to that with driving cars and then trying to tell the story yeah, it really does. And I, the, there are two sorts of cars that are very easy to talk about and that settle in. Uh, like the very best cars, when you drive them, you know about it. it, it I don't know what it is, but you just, it you know instantly. Um, yeah. Four litre RS, you know, first time I drove that. Yeah. I, I knew it was going to be good because I love the 3.8 RS, but I, I just, I remember being disappointed that I was going to drive it because the McLaren. New McLaren was coming out at the time. Everyone was off doing Ferrari versus McLaren versus whatever. And I was like, I want to know what that's all about because we'd all waited so long for a McLaren road car after the F1. And so I had this four litre RS and I remember I drove it for 50 yards and I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. This is, this is all you need. This is as good as it gets. And I remember uh, Ferrari Speciale, the same. I drove Mm -hmm. it from the factory we have a special road that we always go to and it's mostly motorway. But by the time I got to the first toll gate, I was like, okay, this is next level. You, you know, and then there's crap cars and you know, they're crap instantly, but there's so much in between, you know, 98% of cars are in that gray area in the middle. Yeah. And figuring that out in a short space of time is, is not an easy thing to do. Um, so that's why I love VO because you can always correct what you said because you can go back and, and, and think about it a bit more. But yeah, video is hard. It's hard to make money, which is a real shame for yeah. businesses. Um, it's hard to do high production value stuff like um, Henry's doing with Haggerty. Yeah. Great if you've got a big 
player like I was doing soccer motor trend or then you can do it but to the bloggers fair play to them like they work so hard they work yeah. incredibly hard um it's not something that I want to consume but I don't blame them for doing it and I think some of them do a pretty damn good job yeah. it's just not something that would get me up in the morning I don't yeah. want to be talking into my phone or you know walking around a car with a GoPro it's just not what I'm into yeah. um but yeah, it's just it's it's hard. I, I still think you cannot get to know a car better than if you read a really good magazine feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that nuance, all that subtlety, all that detail. That if you read it, it's it sounds right. But if you say it out loud, you'd sound a bit pretentious almost. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. You can build so many more layers into a story. So I love the writing. Yeah. Um, the video is enjoyable. I love making them. Um, I just wish people didn't have to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I thought that was interesting, first of all, about the YouTube bloggery influencing thing, whatever it is, was that it was a bit like a, um, it's a bit like a long-term test because they, cause some of it early on was people talking about cars that they owned, yeah. you know, cause yeah. they had these cars. So they were making content and I was interested. So, you know, curious what it's like to live with an F12, you know, someone who's got an F12 starts doing it and that's interesting. But then, you know, they they think, oh, I've got something here. And then they start to think, oh, maybe I can be Jethro or Chris or Dickie. And they can't. And that's where it all went wrong for me. It started off being interesting and then it just went wrong. Yeah. I mean, like I say, some of them do good work and they're making bloody good money out of it. Um, yeah. I Like all content, whatever it is, like this is why trusted sources are important. Like just be careful who you listen to and yeah. who you watch because there's a lot of, shady stuff i think that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of people getting paid to make content etc which is just yeah but to me that's not that's not editorial work so it's it's a funny landscape at the minute i just glad to have a slice of it still and get to do what i do really yeah sorry i was just thinking about you know um going back in your career so obviously i can't when did you kind of softly leave evo I left. Or have you ever softly? <laughs> yeah, no, I left loudly um, when we went and did Drivers Republic, which was yes. in 2007 or something. 2007. Yeah. And that was exactly what I was going to say was Drivers Republic was almost the start of that yeah. uh, kind of YouTube something that was different. Oh, look at that. Wow. What have you got there? Oh, look at that. Drivers Republic. Look Welcome to the that. revolution. Oh, wow. My my I've got my stickers. Oh, you were a fan. Oh, wow. Got my stickers. Got my welcome. This is my welcome pack, Jeff. <laughs> you guys right. sent me. I got the card somewhere, but I got the stickers. Do you know yeah. what? It it was a it was a extremely fun project, um, yeah. and it was a bit of an Audi A two. You know, it was like it came before its time. Absolutely, um, yeah. It was. There was a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Effectively, we, me, Chris, and Dickie had a falling out with um, the main sort of investor guy, and it just would never have worked out with him. But w there was a lot going on, and we 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 should have actually rescued the business and bought it. We we had the backing to do it, but for various reasons we couldn't do it, which was a real shame. Yeah. Um, I think it was just if if it had succeeded if we'd have not had the fallout if we'd have managed to wrest the business away from him and just carry on with with us three and we had a couple of other uh, backers who were going to help us out um, on the business side of things or us four because neil was involved there was there was a lot of good people involved yeah um, 
it could have been brilliant and i think mm. it, it was oh, well it was it was brilliant yeah, it, I but mean, yeah, it could have gone on being brilliant. And yeah, and, and it's like two thousand and eight, and you know Lehman Brothers, and it was yeah. like every it was the perfect shitstorm basically yeah. um, of, of when to do it. But it is tragic. I do look back and think, I wonder what quite where it would have gone by now. Um, we had people trying to buy it even when it was only a couple of months old. We had wow. people wanting to invest in it. We had we had so much goodwill, and yeah. then the world shut down. Like, yeah. yeah. And people forget it was like it wasn't quite COVID shut down, but the manufacturers basically put the shutters down. They stopped developing cars. They yeah. um, they stopped spending money. So the ad money just disappeared. Um, and we were we were sort of screwed at that point. Unfortunately, uh, I look back fondly on working on the project. It was it was a huge amount of fun, and I hadn't worked with Chris before, which was really good fun um when he turned up um but it was it was it was a great project but a bit too soon i'm afraid yeah i definitely yeah. it was exactly that before its time wasn't it and mm. um, what a great name as well driver's republic it, it you could bring that out now and it would still yeah it made sense bring people together yeah dicky came up with that we were in yeah. Wales on a i think we were on an evo job just before we were about to leave and he and he came up to me and said it and i was like yeah i think that works yeah we it just it fitted what we wanted to do really um yeah, yeah it was it was it, it does it does annoy me because we all have different memories of it dicky is really scarred by it because yeah. i don't know why he just he found it a really difficult period when it all fell apart my scarring is more just frustration that we didn't make it work i think dicky probably regrets it ever happened whereas i regret that we didn't Carry get on. to continue with it um yeah. but it was great it was yeah. it was a real laugh and we learned a lot and then i went on to do it was really where we started doing video and then i went freelance which gave me loads of opportunities and then your life just rolls with the with the uh opportunities that come along doesn't it really yeah two things that stick in my mind from travis republic as you can tell i was you know i was heavily invested in it personally yeah, yeah. I, you know I, I loved it it's actually i guess maybe it survives on youtube somewhere that's rare gen 2 997 content because you had that green targa you had a triple test green 997 targa an yeah. aston v8 aston. roadster and yeah. maybe a merc yeah yeah you're right yeah we did yeah. and that was good because there isn't much 997.2 stuff you know because it was you know financial yeah. crisis and that sort of thing um so i do remember that about, you think about the porsche world and where it's gone it's quite an interesting point. There's no good content of 911s that isn't GT3s anymore. Yeah. Like you, never, you never see a video on a on a Targa or a... You, do you know what I mean? It's it's another thing that's, I think, really changed in the Porsche enthusiasm world. It's like it's like GT car or nothing. Whereas yeah, before, yeah. Always, the Carrera is probably the sweet spot. And then if you can get a GT3, you know, it's great. And an RS. But they were such rarefied things in those days that the... Um, yeah, I guess it changed with 907. They became a bit more in the consciousness of everyone. But yeah, yeah you don't see much content on the on the sort of normal cars anymore. You don't. You need, you you don't. need to start watching some Nine Works TV. Jethro. You're right. I did watch plenty of good stuff on there. Last night. I did watch yeah. them last night, but it was about. Um, I did the. I watched the 993 modified 993 stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it is. It's a great point there, Jethro. I, I try not to have a bee in my bonnet about it, but I've got a bee in my bonnet about it. I wonder how many people know that there are 911s under the gt3 you know that there yeah. is a carrera that there are such other yeah. amazing cars, cars. Yeah. what do you guys think is i mean you're real hardcore porsche guys there there's definitely a shift in to broaden the appeal of the car 
they, 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 the, the Carrera is fundamentally different to how it used to be, I think, isn't it? Do, do you still yeah. enjoy like a 992 Carrera, Carrera S, or do, are you also gone down this GT3 route? I'd, I'd base Carrera for me. Really? If I, was, if I had to buy one. Um, there was one in Porsche Bournemouth the other day, which was uh, like midnight blue with a red interior. And it's just a base Carrera. And it was like, of all the cars that were in that dealership, and there was, you know, there was GT3s, there was everything um, in there. And that would have been my pick if I walked in there with plenty of cash in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, strange, the, I the, the, the 911 I ended up buying, Jethro, was a 907.1 Carrera 3.6 basic car um you know really really lovely thing in fact i was at an evo track evening once then you were there and i offered you a drive and you were worried about the engine lunching itself <laughs> um not because of your driving it just as you happened to be the unlucky one who was in it when it when it happened so you yeah, declined I, I get lots of kind offers and i'm always like god if something goes pop who's you know responsibilities yeah but i you know i had that car for nearly 10 years i did 50 uh, 55,000 miles in it and then I you know I thought it was all the car I, I, I would ever need and during that time I did drive a 992 when that came out and uh, people are very unkind about the 992 aren't they and uh, I think it is a more spec sensitive car it's probably fair to say than older mm. 911s yeah. the car that I drove was a, was a press car and it had the sport chassis and rear axle steer and all of that sort of thing and I drove it around Wingrave actually because we were shooting at Mentmore the oh, T911 yeah. and I was bombing around in it for the photos with with Lee and I thought it was bloody fantastic yeah. i thought it yeah. felt you know people say oh, i don't feel like a 911 felt like a 911 to me and i just got yeah. out of my 997 and then i got back in the 997 at rpm where where we left it because we borrowed a car from them and i was driving down the a41 back towards aylesbury and i at first i thought that the windows weren't closed properly and then i thought the windscreen <laughs> was about to fall out because the refinement <laughs> and maybe that's one of the things that people are saying you know that you know the 992 is that so much more refined it's much wind yeah. noise yeah I'm, um and the size the physical size i think is is definitely yeah. a change as well i think yeah i'm in two minds because 991.2 um I think they really got that. So, like the GT3 was obviously brilliant, but they, mm, they, yeah. the, the T was great. I, I mm. really loved that. I thought that was a great car. And the 992, I've driven, I've had one absolutely magic drive in the GT3 or one day, and it was a really good car. And I, but I think it's very setup um, sensitive. And I, yeah. it, if you get one on the wrong setup, it's awful. Like it's pulling all over the road and it just doesn't feel right. And, um, I've, and I've had a two or three like that now. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if I had all the money in the world, there's a 992 that I would buy at the moment, which I think is probably the first time in the history of since I've known about Porsches and driven them and stuff yeah. like that. Well, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't rush out to buy if I was going to buy a, a new generation car, if you like GT3, I'd buy a 991.2. Um, I'd definitely buy like a 991.2 GT2 RS because they're nuts. And, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd buy something, but I've not yet had a 992 experience where I was like, oh, that supersedes for me yeah. what's come before. Yeah. It's is, really interesting you say that, really, because, you know, obviously Chris had to make a choice, didn't have to make yeah. a choice. He made a choice. He sold his 992. You know, our friend Paul Pressland, he's done a similar thing. Yeah. He's got, um, you know, 991 touring and he sold his 992 touring. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and they, they seem to be very tire sensitive and mm. 
yeah, yeah. it's an interesting it's yeah, an interesting thing setups and, and they, you know they are very they're very focused aren't they and they're, mm. and they're, great, they're great fun on the right time but I, I yeah i'm not sure if they're as just quite as well rounded and quite as um alive at lower speeds as even the 991.2 yeah and that could maybe be it. You, I mean, do you think I mean, you know, people, you know, talk about the double wishbone? You know, there's there's nothing, there's no black magic there. You know, that's that's a well trodden engineering path. But having transferred into the nine nine two and not really changed the engine, yeah, they did change the setup of the chassis quite a lot. You know, to to you know, they had to get lap time from yeah, chassis. Well, so maybe that's the problem. Yeah, front track's a lot wider. The the double wishbone. I think it does fundamentally change the feel of the car slightly that double wishbone and um for the better in terms of lap time but not necessarily for the better in terms of character and yeah i've always had a bit of a problem when the 991 first came out and they had the whatever they called the active anti-roll bars and power steering uh, pdcc and all that sort of thing yeah it was like they were chasing out any remnant of 911 feeling in the car and i, I mm. couldn't understand it because it's one of the few cars left with real genuine character, character yeah. that you have to unlock and it has some heritage in that in that driving experience and they seem to want to expunge any 911 feeling from it and they did row back on that i think and they much improved them um but yeah i don't want my 911 to feel mid-engined i want it no. to feel, i want it to feel rear-engined mm. i like i'm quite set up um, I'm, I'm not a snob about it, but I like certain things in the 911, and the fact they understeer a bit to me is good. That's what they should do, and, yeah. and and the reason is that's the gateway to the whole driving experience. So if you have one that's just completely on the nose and never understeers out anywhere, you actually have to drive a lot faster to get the thing to to move around because it's going to be purely under power or pure um, yeah. natural force. So you've got to be really moving. Um, too good but if you've got yeah. the cars with a bit of understeer you've suddenly got weight transfer that you can use like yeah that's the whole point of the pendulum like you get the front to push just a little bit and then you lift off and then you're in the world of whatever you want to do you can either just yeah. keep it nice and neat you can use the pendulum to slide the car and you, they give you so many options but to me that starts with a front end that you can feel and it will push a little bit because then you can use, you know, like I say, use weight transfer. You've got yeah. that pendulum, so you might as well be able to use it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's my and that, that, that point about PDCC, you know, the active chassis in terms of what we've also, but the point you made, Jethro, about seeking out opinions of people that you value. Um, I did a lot of research and reading about PDCC because I, I decided after nearly 10 years, I wanted to move forward. I thought I'm, I used to daily my 997 I've stopped doing that I thought maybe I'm gonna get a 991 and it'll come back into that sort of daily bit more modern and I'll, yeah. and I'll start to daily it again and I thought what about PDCC so I researched the views of people like yourself and I drew a conclusion that I didn't want PDCC so I ruled that out and that became part of my search was to seek out a car that didn't have that for that very reason and the car mm -hmm. that I bought uh, doesn't doesn't have that and it's you know it's a 991.1 Carrera S it's PDK because I think that gives the best experience in that in yeah. that car and it, and and it's fantastic and it is a nice step on from the 997 and two years into it i'm enjoying that yeah yeah, yeah. That, that new experience yeah right decision and i hear those cars have a very good engine as well apparently so <laughs> apparently so which is a which segues neatly into how on earth did one end up in the back of your 996 indeed what, what, what happened what happened to my 996 yeah did it yeah, launch itself 
yeah what was the what i believe there was a, an engine problem wasn't there with the yeah i i i've do you know what i haven't actually fully stripped the engine down because as soon as i decided that i didn't want to go the rebuild route yeah that that was basically the the tipping point so it had a misfire um at high rpm i would say it must have been six and a half thousand rpm or something had a weird little yeah. misfire and you could get through it but it was very labored up to the red line i thought it was like a coil pack or a lambda yeah. you know one of these easy things so i changed a load of easy stuff um coil packs and lambda sensors and it actually felt like it got a bit better but it was still there car was rock solid idled beautifully no no oil being burned pulled like a train which it always did you know it was a real quick 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 little thing um and then i took it to rpm and they basically said it's it's gone out of time it must have jumped um the tooth and it needs an engine rebuild which at the time i couldn't understand because i'd, dr- I'd done a thousand miles with it like that at the time i didn't have a long-term test car and for, so for a couple for a month or something, I've driven it basically every day for this misfire because yeah. I wasn't driven it to 6,000 RPM, so it didn't really matter. Um, and it hadn't burned oil and it idled. And I was like, God, if it was out of time, surely it would sound like an old NASCAR or something, you know, and it would be yeah. burning oil and spitting bits out of it. Um, anyway, I was in the po- at that point, you're, you're like, do I strip the car down and rebuild it or not? And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, RPM wanted to strip the car down. I wasn't sure if I wanted to build the engine the way they wanted to build it. I spoke to Porsche Classic and said, well, what about an X51 engine? Because um, I've never I've never even seen a 3.4 X51, but it's, mm. I thought it sounded cool. Um, they said they had all the bits. So it basically sat at RPM for a while where I figured out what I was going to do. Started talking to Porsche Classic. They said they had all the bits and they could do it. Um, went down to... So, six months later or whatever, it went down to Porsche Swindon. They were all up for doing it. Um, and I was going to get a favourable rate, but I was still going to pay for it. And they said, <laughs> they said they could do it. And I said, listen, as long as it's roughly comparable to a specialist, then I'm happy because it's yeah. a good story for Porsche Classic. It's good for me to get this unique engine. It's like a factory hot rod engine. I think it's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, it should be similar price. So... And then they sent me the parts bill, and I think it was £37,000 in parts. Oh, my God. Before they did everything. And to be fair, that wasn't just the engine. that You know, they wanted to do – it was going to drive out looking like a brand-new 911. Yeah. Um, but I was like, this is beyond the realms of um, – you know, this is just nuts. This is this is crazy. You could yeah. buy, you could probably buy a bloody GT3 for forty grand at the time. You know, yeah. So I said no. I'm not. That's just crazy. So I picked it up, and then I was just like, "What do I do with this?" Because I I love the car. I love yeah. the car. I bought it for ten and a half grand. Um, it when was did a, you buy it? I How bought it to. Uh, when, let me think. Twenty twelve, maybe. Okay. Like yeah, ten years you've had it then. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. I'm just trying to think how old. So, yeah, 20, 2011 or 2012. Yeah. Um, and I love the car and I bought it sight unseen. I basically, I had a family member who was in hospital and I was going through a real shitty time. And I was like, God, life's really short and mm. I haven't got a 911 and I should put that right. And I was looking through piston heads and they're all like, there was a lot of cheap cars and this one was 10 and a half grand. Um, I rang the owner, chatted to him. He 
ran a motorsport consultancy company, ran old F1 cars, um, proper engineer. And he said, listen, yeah. it's, it's tatty because I do a load of miles in it and I drive it pretty quick. But it's, you know, it's strong and it's got these bits. It had Bill Steins on it and it had a load of cool bits. Good history. And I, said, and, and I couldn't get away from the hospital. So I sent Dickie to drive it, actually. Um, and Dickie drove it for me and took pictures and took videos on his phone. And he said, I think you'll love it. It is like it it doesn't it looks good at 50 paces, but it gets worse the closer you get. But he said dynamically it's it's great. And that was good enough for me. Um so I love the car, it has sentimental value, but it, I was stuck effectively because I didn't I didn't necessarily just want a rebuild. Um because every time I spoke to anyone about a rebuild, it was all about talk. And I don't really care about talk when it's my fun car i wanted, yeah, yeah. I just wanted revs i wanted it to be like it was which was a especially in a zingy engine like that three four yeah, it's yeah. A zingy little thing, and, I, and i i drive it to have fun i don't drive it to slog around and i don't care if it pulls from 1500 revs in sixth gear that's not why i drive that car yeah um so i was sort of stuck and then i have a huge amount of respect for in litchfield so i called him and i was like what the hell am I going to do with this car? Um, and by now I had everything for it suspension wise. I had loads of lovely bits, KW club sports and, you know, um, suspension arms. And I had loads of cool stuff to chuck at it. So I sent it to him and he looked at it and his guy, Scott Cheshire, his name is, was on the car and he did a load of bits to it. And then he, and then he said, yeah, the engine is, is definitely got a big issue and we're going to have to strip it to, to really find it out. But he felt yeah. the same RPM felt in the end that it had gone out of time and, and caused some big damage in the engine. Um, and so we were looking down again, I was staring down the barrel of a rebuild and it's like 12, 15 grand and get, I'm going to get the same car back, hmm. um, which I don't have a problem with. I love the car, but I was like, it's got to be another way. And so I was idly <laughs> looking on eBay and there was all these 991 engines and I was like, they were cheap. There's like 3.4 engines for like five grand and Carrera S engines for eight grand. And so I text Scott, who was working on the car and said, what do you think? Could this fit in? And he was like, well, that would be fun. Um, have a word with Ian. So I called Ian and I said, I sent him a link actually on text. I was like, what do you think? And he was like, oh, um, yeah, that could be interesting. And then in typical Litcho style, never does anything by halves. He texts me like 20 minutes later and was like, yeah, we can do this. We can make it work. Um, and I said, okay, well, let's start looking for an engine. He said, oh, no, we don't want an engine. We want a car because we don't know how big this project will become. Uh, all the ancillaries yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we want a donor car uh, for the wiring loom and bits, all the bits that we might need. Um, yeah. I didn't think much more of it. A week later, he texts me pictures of the car he'd got so it was a 2014 Carrera S done 15,000 miles or something and a truck had reversed up the side of it uh, and like, oh. so no big damage no big impact or anything yeah uh, and then they just set about it the way that Litchfield does I just said you do whatever you need to do and take your time um and it just escalated and it escalated. <laughs> I think they thought it was going to be relatively straightforward bit of fabrication yeah um get it in there and then it wasn't going to be too bad but the, the the and that was true to a certain extent but the um making it all work you know because it's an analog car my car's really early 996 mm. yeah. making everything work with the new direct injection and you know it's, it's stuff like the it's, power steering there's yeah. no it's electric steering on a 
991. So you don't have an, a belt to run the power steer like hydraulic pump. So you've got then you end up with a 996 pump, and then you have to yeah. like the the PD. It was a PDK car, and the gearbox is huge anyway on the 991. So there's no way it will fit. So then we have to fabricate to make the two match up. So there's like 997 flywheels and 991 this, and it it was just a nightmare. Um, yeah. But they so did is, it. Has it got the original gearbox then? It's a 996 yeah, gearbox. Original yeah. gearbox um, fabricated to join up. They had to add quite a few. I've got pictures of it, but they they, they did a lot of fabrication to make it fit. Um, they just, what I love about them, everything is like OE standard. So they don't, nothing's shunted together and crappy. Yeah. And they never yeah. do. Like if something's not right, they'll find a way to do it right. And if that means sending it off to somewhere or getting it fabricated or spend, you know, they spent a week. One guy spent a week every day just trying to get the, it's got Cyvex standalone ECU, uh, motorsport sort of ECU to run everything. And he spent like a week trying to get the air conditioning to work. You know, whereas most garages after like 10 minutes would be like, this is not going to work. You're just going to have to accept it doesn't have this anymore. Yeah, yeah, there's no air conditioning, mate. (laughs) Yeah, but but they they do it properly. And then then he rang me and he's like, we should spray the car because it doesn't look that good. And I was like, okay. So it just... (laughs) Yeah. It's I, good I job you got that Top Gear America contract, Jethro, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it was a big one, but also once you're all in, yeah, there's no point. Like, it had to be good at the end. Yeah, it, it had to be good and it had to work. And Ian, I think he went in as a business opportunity, thinking this is a pretty good business model. Like there's a lot of 997s out there, for example, that are going to have engine problems. Yeah, and yeah. we've been able to create these really cool hot rods um, at the fraction of the price of a resto mod. So I guess his idea was to come up with a kit to be able to put yeah, it in. Yeah, and, and people yeah. come in and, he, you know, he's done a lot of limited edition type cars in the past based on GTRs and Impressas and stuff. Mm. Um, and he's trying to get more into the Porsche world. So I think it seemed like a business opportunity and then quickly didn't um didn't anymore seem like one they don't want to do another but the great thing is they're not done so i've had the car back probably five six weeks something like that and um i've driven it on track briefly did an evo photo shoot which should be in the next issue but i went back yesterday just to like do a few niggles and stuff and i was like oh man i'm gonna get there and they're all gonna roll their eyes and grow but they were (laughs) extremely excited to see it and they're uh, Scott, who did a lot of the work, Scott did a lot, Dan did a lot of the mapping work. There's there's quite a few guys involved. Um, they'd been researching stuff, like things that I want to change already that I'd had quick conversations. Oh, like, oh, we have done research and we need to do this and we're going to try different length springs at the rear and we're going to valve the, hydraulic, the electric steering pump so it's not assisting quite as much because the steering's gone too light, basically. Yeah. I think it's used to cup big slicks and loads of camber and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like it's an ongoing project and it's got a life of its own now, the car, basically. Yeah. I tell you, it's, um, we have had so many requests. Please get Jethro on and talk about that 996. We want to know all the details. Yeah. I, my DMs are just like, Jethro, 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 996. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. Such a popular car. Well, I, I can tell you, I even printed this out because I thought you might ask me. Um, yeah, come so. on. I'm going to tell you what they just sent me of a brief list of how the process went. 
Fantastic. It's long. But do you want me to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, let's have the detail. <laughs> okay. So remove engine and gearbox on both cars. Offer 991 engine up to 996. Found rear mounts needed to be moved back and up. Decided to keep 996 gearbox due to drive shaft and gear cable positions. The 991 is a PDK and the gearbox is huge in block capitals. Um, <laughs> tried fitting 996 gearbox. Everything lined up pretty well, but required fabrication of three further mounting points. Also cut out clearance for starter motor and refabricated. Um, fitted lightweight clutch, uh, lightweight flywheel matched a 997 clutch plate and cover that picks up 996 splines. Clucks. Clutch actuation rod then had to be carefully measured to achieve full engagement and disengagement. Um, I'll go. I'll go on. I know this is boring, but it's no, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. No, I think it's amazing all the work they yeah. did. Um, at this point, the engine was ready to fit, and we could pick up the gearbox mount. The rear engine mounts were carefully removed, and a cross member cut out. With the engine finally sat in the engine bay, a new cross member was made, and the original mounts could be fitted to the new structure. Next job was refitting all the hoses and pipes. The two coolant hard lines were removed from the 991 and the shape was similar to the 996 but would not fit. So they were cut and welded to follow the profile of the car and with new heater hoses and air conditioning pipes. 996 runs a mechanical power steering pump whereas the 991 runs an electrical pump. Neither of these would swap over so it was decided to run electric pump as used in the 996 cup cars. Yeah. We fit the pump in a fabricated bracket then had to remove the rack and make some custom use to accept the new poses okay there's not too much more uh most difficult part of the build was the wiring loom in both cars we stripped back and carefully removed all of the dme wiring wiring diagrams were cross-referenced and the 991 loom was spliced into the 996 loom the 996 i'll keep going (laughs) the 991 (laughs) utilizes full cam bus for running the instrument cluster and other functions whereas the 996 uses the older analog sync signals so each gauge had to be hardwired to the new Cybex ECU and then recalibrated to work. Wow. Um, a bespoke airbox and air intake had to be fabricated. Engine cooling fans have been fabricated to work with the new 991 engine. The original accelerator pedal was cable operated, whereas 991 uses fly-by-wire. So we made new bracket to mount 991 pedal and create new wiring to control. Um, yeah, so that's part of it. And then on top of that, there is the new exhaust, which became uh, an ordeal. That was typical of Ian, actually. So we finally got the car running, they had the exhaust on, but it hung a bit low. And Ian wasn't happy with it. And he said, oh, we've got our guy who's like an ace fabricator, so we're going to send it there. And he, we'll just make him fit, you know, make him make yeah. it. Fit. And then I so he sent it to him. And they sent me pictures of it, and there's like, um, or the, the the exhaust guy Elliot at Elwell Fab Fabrications. It's cool. They sent me pictures. There's like a McLaren. There's a Frost or Senna McLaren F1 car sitting there, wow. GT3, and then my car. He's like this genius fabricator, and he looked at the exhaust that I was gonna put on it, and he just wouldn't accept that it could go on the car. He was like, "No, we're not putting that on it." So yeah. then he created this long header exhaust system and titanium back box and so it's these pretty mega things, doesn't it i think the exhaust costs the same as the car when i do it so it's um but yeah it sounds good they've gone to town it sounds great and it's light the car's light uh, i weighed it the other day it was 13 67 kilos absolutely brimmed full of fuel um and obviously the engine's a little bit lighter and the gearbox uh the 
exhaust system is a lot lighter, so I've taken quite a lot off the rear. Yeah. Um, and there's a million more things to do. KW want me to go to Germany to help maybe set up the car. Oh, I have wow. grand ideas of setting a lap time at the ring with one of the Porsche factory drivers, which I don't know will ever happen. But, you know, I want to do all these yeah. things. Basically. Yeah, yeah. There's and, lots um, to come. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with it. I realise it's not an economical thing to do and that the car is not worth what has been invested in it. But yeah. I sort of don't care. There's nothing else. Yeah really that i want and it's like I say once you've got something and you love it my other option was to throw it away or set it on fire yeah. and i didn't really want to do that so yeah i uh, i'm pretty pleased where we're at yeah. so definitely something, forever something, car yeah something i didn't realize jethro it's probably a relief to everyone involved is that it was your idea it was um, my idea. Yes. So I, I in, in in my imagination, the crazy notion was your car sitting there at Litchfield and an engine in the corner that just happened to be there, and Ian saying, "Hold on a minute, what about this?" But so <laughs> it was my idea. I, it was that dangerous thing of looking on eBay and thinking that you could buy an engine for eight grand and stick it in and be done. You know, yeah. start on Thursday and be driving it on Tuesday next week, and it didn't, didn't quite work out like that. But um. I guess it's my because I love the watercooled cars. It's it's everything I like really. Um, yeah, nine oh six is so small. But firstly, it's the first nine eleven I ever drove, and that, yeah. that made me realise that I loved uh, Porsche and the way they do things. It's light. It's narrow. Um, although it's now got fly by wire and lots of other bits, it's a very analog car mm. in terms of the way it feels and the way it's got a bit of that. People will laugh at this, but what I was talking about earlier with 2.7 RS, the way you can manipulate the car so easily with how yeah. you drive it, and it really accentuates the good things you do. Um, mm. It's got all of that built into it, um, which yeah. I absolutely love. And it's so different to what I drive on my every day now, because everything, yes. yeah. everything, we're in this world where everything's going the same way, which is twin turbocharged, endless torque, um pdk type gearbox which some of those cars can be fantastic um but it's nice to have something else and it's nice to have something to reset your brain about yeah. you know things like steering feel for example yeah. you know you've you've jumped from a, a 906 or 907 to a 991 or 992 it's, it's a different thing you know electric steering yeah. of course you do it really well but it's not the same and and it's good to remember some of those fundamentals and and the same driving the car that's you know 1300 kilos and not 1600 kilos it's good to have that in mind because these new cars have got so much technology to disguise their bulk yeah but they they are flattering to see it's not real you know and, yeah. and when you get in a smaller lighter older car and you feel that you understand and it, and yeah. it gives me a lot of ammunition and knowledge still for my new job for, for the new cars i'm doing yeah um, yeah I remember you writing in that sort of those sort of tones. I think with it, perhaps in in Fast Feet in Evo pre launching the engine, just talking about the way you go through a roundabout in a nine nine six, yeah, and talking about you know that sort of resetting of yeah the feel and touch and that sort of thing. And I had my nine nine seven at the time, so I was I was driving a similar car, yeah. you know, often and and you know and feeling those same things and some of the things you wrote. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I, I kind of get that. I want to do a bit more of that, and 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 it was yeah. And I think I'm really lucky in that because of my job, I get to drive all the new stuff. I don't have the massive hunger 
mm. continually up get a newer car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of people are caught in this trap. And I understand it because if you can afford it and you can keep getting the new GT3 or whatever, you naturally want to. You see it, you see videos of it, you see magazines of it, your mates have got one. Whatever. I get why you need to do that. And maybe I'd be the same if I had a different job and, and more money. But because I get to do all that anyway, I can be much more concentrated on the driving experience and what I get out of it. And, and yeah. if I get as much out of that car to drive it quickly and have fun in it as I would uh, pretty much anything else, you know, that's that's twice as expensive and potentially twice as fast. You know, yeah. you don't get any more out of those cars necessarily. Yeah. Do you think with um, with the modifications that you've um, done, and um, I've done quite a bit of my suspension and I've got um, much more modern tyres than I had before, and I almost feel like sometimes that I've made the suspension and the tyres so good on my 993 that i that power wise it feels a bit not enough now yeah, so yeah, it doesn't feel such a balanced power. package <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't catch that i said you need a 400 horsepower direct injection engine now <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe that's the next thing to do no, you're but, right. i think it, it, it's a common thing you, you yeah. absolutely I, I, I'm sure there are a million people, if you drove the car you modified, the end point versus the point you started, I bet 95% of people would prefer the starting point to where they got to. <laughs> but it's our disease, isn't it? Like It is. It is a disease, absolutely. I have it. I've had my car back a month, um, and it's completely different how it was, and I've been learning everything about it. But I still... I'm like, oh, maybe I'll look at a steering wheel because it's still got a stand in one, or maybe, yeah. oh, maybe I should have got this. Maybe I should. You just you can't help it. But yeah. um, I was like going to ask you actually about the touch points. So steering wheel, gear lever, seats. What what um what's the, the spec seat, on that? Yeah, the, everything is. So the steering wheel stand. I'm going to get, or I was going to get the um the 906 Cup one. It's the mod 07, isn't it? The yeah. um yeah, the Mod 07. Yeah, Lee's got that in his... Uh, nine, yeah. So his I was thinking I'll probably get that. Um, the I know everyone who's got a 996 seems to do a short shift gearbox. Um, I love the standard throw of the box. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want something that's, you know, like quarter of an inch throw. I like yeah. the way it feels and it's quick and it's fluid. So I think I'll leave that. Um, the seats are, are, you can't get those Recaro GT3 seats anymore. And if you ever see them on eBay, they're like 10 grand or whatever. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah, the ones with the big ears. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, they're I, cool. Yeah, I had a set of replicas when I bought the car. It was in, it had replicas. And um, they were actually good. I think they were from Design 911. Uh, they, were, they were pretty good and they seemed good quality, but the, they were Alcantara and that was cheap and nasty. So they'd, they'd gone all shiny and not very nice. But I love those seats. Um, so I went to Corbo and asked them to build me some sort of custom GT3 look seats because yeah. I knew they then have a proper motorsport shell and everything. So they did that. Um, it took them a bloody long time. Uh, it was COVID time, but um, they did it. And they're, they're lovely. They're really nice. And they're, they're dark brown leather. And I had, work, have you ever had Workshop 5001? They're like a Porsche specialist out in LA. Yes, yeah. They, they build like, you know, beautiful million dollar air cooled mm. Resto mod stuff. 
and I drove their very first car and they'd commissioned a bespoke tartan for the seat inserts and stuff. And I asked if they'd do my seat inserts in that. So I sent the cushion. When, when I got them back, they were just grey Alcantara and I sent them off to, to him in LA and he he trimmed them. So nice. I'd love to do the interior and make it nice. Um, but I believe that Porsche have gone a little bit crazy with the um, over-the-top bespokeness of everything. And, and to me, that's not what Porsches are about. So I want the interior to be nicer than it is, but I don't want singer-style um, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that doesn't feel very Porsche to me somehow no it's too easy to go down that route a singer singer do it very well there's a lot of people that are trying to emulate it and not doing it anywhere near as well and it looks a bit cheap and tacky yeah just I mean that's again when you've driven a lot of 911s I and some people love them like collectors have got singers etc and I they do beautiful work yeah to me an old 911's got uh, string that you pull to close the door you know not yeah. not bloody some sort of embossed leather i, I don't necessarily yeah. want that so yeah. i just like the interior to be a bit newer it's a bit shiny and a bit crappy because it's 150,000 miles yeah yeah truthful to itself nice. yeah yeah the seats are nice and it's it's just cool and i love it and it goes like absolute stink now it's 390 odd horsepower um and it's yeah, it's just good. Uh, it, it's it's slim, not too grippy, uh, and it's this, the, obviously the new engine has swung the balance very firmly in the direction of power over grip, which I appreciate. What tyres are running <laughs> on it? It's got GT3 sizes. I think they're 285s on the rear. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I just before the engine went pop, I put some Yokohamas on it. So it's got Yokos on it, which seem there's. They're pretty good, actually. They're probably nearly yeah. out of date, aren't they? Yeah, they probably are. They probably are. I, I will get some new ones. I like the idea of having some cut twos on it at some point or something similar to see how it feels um, yeah. with that added grip. But I would only do that if I was doing something like a Nürburgring lap time. Yeah. Or something. I, don't yeah. Want, yeah. I don't want more grip for the sake of having more grip. It feels um, feels to me that more you want a regular type of tire so you get that movement. Yeah, yeah, I like, like it. Like a PS4S sports. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like the car moving around. So I do like an aggressive tire. I love the feel that they give you. I, I love yeah. It's really geeky. But because it's not my everyday car, I like getting in the car and knowing it's got cold tires and that feeling of, like, thumping about and, and everything coming up to temperature. To me, that's that's a really cool ritual in a car. And I, yeah. I love that feeling. And I love the steering response you get with stiff sidewalls and aggressive tyres. But the reality is they're probably less enjoyable for for road driving. And I don't intend to, I want to go to the ring, I want to go to Spa, but it's not going to be a track day car. Like yeah. when, you've, when you're lucky enough to be able to drive other people's car on track, the last thing you want to do is, is ruin your own life. <laughs> So, so that's that's going to inform your uh, setup on the, you know, the ride height and suspension and well, you, camber you and that sort so, of thing, is it? But um, <laughs> it currently has no rubber whatsoever in suspension. Oh, really? Wow. Suspension. Um, it still rides well. Do, do you know what led me to do it? A, a colleague, uh, a photographer, Anthony Fraser, who used to do a lot of stuff for Porsche mags, I think. Yeah. Um, he had a 996 GT3 Mark One. And, and we did, didn't he? A silver one, wasn't it? Silver one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It had all um, 
think it had elephant racing or something, suspension arms, there, fully no rubber in it. And I thought, oh, this would be a disaster. And mm. we went to an event at the Porsche Experience Centre and he said, oh, I'll take it for a spin. And the roads around Silverstone are crap. They're mm. awful roads. Um, and I drove it and I couldn't believe how good it was. Uh, it felt so accurate, but didn't thump and bump and like it wasn't throwing itself off the road. And that made me think, okay, I can go down this route without destroying the car. But it is extreme. It's noisier. Um, It's stiffer. At the moment, it's a bit too stiff. So that's part. I've just dropped it at Litchfield, and we're going to work a lot on setup. Ideally, I want a road setup, a Nürburgring setup, and then like a Silverstone GP setup. The ideal. I've got some nice light wheels on it, haven't you? You've got the OZ OZ. wheels on it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. which I've had. But I'd love a set of BBS, you know. Yeah, what well, E88s or whatever they are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. they're a ton of money as well. So yeah, I've got to be careful. Mind you, in for a penny, in for a pound, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of attitude gets you where you are, where I am yeah. today. So, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Just, I, I just love the car, and I, I um, I think there's a lot more to to enjoy with it, setup wise and stuff. Does that Porsche Classic uh, quote seem cheap now? Um. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah. It's a unique car, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. That's oh, what absolutely. That's yeah. What and yeah. I, I absolutely buy into what people always say: buy the best one you can, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the reality is, for someone like me and a lot of people, if you have to scrape together to buy one, and then it takes you, and then you just keep chucking money at it for a few years. I know it's not the most efficient way, but for a lot of people, it's reality. And that yeah, was yeah. like I, I bought a ten grand nine nine six because that's all I could afford, not mm. because I thought I was getting away on the cheap. And I, yeah. if I'd have had twenty grand, I would have spent twenty, but I didn't. So yeah. it's almost like buying a car on finance. I think yeah, but you, you, you're not paying a finance company any interest. Yeah, you know, you're just yeah. you've got those monthly <laughs> payments yeah, to make. That's that's reality. So I've chucked money at it, but it's just. I've been doing it gradually to the point you only um, feel the pain when you, if you ever looked at a spreadsheet of what you'd spent, which yeah, I don't, don't do that. I don't tend to do. So Evo keep asking me to break down all the costs, but it's um, not something yeah. I'm keen to. <laughs> 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 or in print. Not for your uh, marital. Um, yeah. Marital yeah, well-being. Exactly, exactly. But no, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a project that snowballed, yeah. but it's, at the end of it, I'll have a 911 that I love, and that's all I really care about. Yeah. And the truth is, I can't afford a 997 GT3. Um, I'll never have a 4-litre, etc. Yeah. So yeah. this is my version of it. It's going to be as quick or quicker than yeah. most GT3s, and it's different. Yeah. Um, and it's got the same character. You know you know what that engine's like. It's a different character to the yeah, yeah. engine. But it, it revs like crazy. It sounds great. And I shouldn't have to worry about the maladies that 996s and 997s yeah. do if i do want to go on track i don't have to worry about bloody oil starvation and this yeah, and, yeah. you know it, it's a bit of peace of mind as well so yeah I hope it's i know some people just don't get it and that's fine but um i get it and that's sort of all that yeah comes. that's all that matters I, 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 I was surprised actually when i made the switch how much more the engine is it's how much more angry it is and how much yeah more power it feels because mine, mine was the three six and it really is i know it's the much maligned three six and you know you you found that out mine was solid for 
for all those years and it really is a lovely motor and i i sometimes i look back and i think i'd actually quite like that again yeah in maybe not in a 997 maybe in a boxster yeah. or something but the 901 in in, in my 991 it's angry it revs it's fast yeah yeah it's fast and it's got re- yeah it's got some real attitude doesn't it yeah i really enjoyed my old 3.4 um but this feels so much sharper i mean it's, yeah it's a proper thing and when you when you really wind it up um it feels quick and i, I think yeah. the fact that it's in such a small narrow car as well it just it just adds to that that feeling and that drama so yeah i'm i'm extremely yeah. happy with it and i think when the weather gets better i'll do a proper video on it which everyone keeps asking me to do um and i want to do everything you know i want to go to the to germany and try and see how fast it goes i want to go to the ring i want to just enjoy it and do a proper video on it when yeah. it's good if there's any value in you know the car that it came from kind of counterpoint thing or any context then obviously always welcome to yeah I'm, to use my car yeah i'd love to get it together with a few cars actually because it would be cool to get it together with a gt3 and maybe a 991 and a few others so yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah it would be good I'll, to get it together with um max's car and lee's car yeah, yeah. so you've got the 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 two Wait. ingredients what does the what does the the cake the yeah what does the cake look like monster that i've created from those yeah. Yeah. yeah um yeah, no, I definitely want to do stuff like that. I'm, I'm just in. I've been without it for so long. I mean, it's yeah. years that I'm just loving having the 911 again. Um, so I'm hoping it'll be at lit shows for maybe a week or a couple of weeks, and then I'll go back and pick it up. And I'm going to spend a day there next time I'm there, and we're just going to play around with suspension more. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just wicked. And uh, like I say, oh. I didn't feel I had a choice. So I know what I've done hmm. is irrational, but it's, it was just, a, it was just, that's why it went. Uh, yeah. It and you love the car. So, you know, that's all that matters. Yeah. I, I was powerless to stop it. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy with where it's at. Fantastic. In that, in that fantasy realm though, which I spent far too long in, in fact, when I found that driver's Republic thing, it was tucked in amongst some, paperwork from some course i was doing back at that time at work and where i was making notes about economics and that sort of thing i had loads of little five car garages in there as well you know that's because that's life isn't it so i think i remember and i can't remember if it was in evo could have been in gt porsche something about favorite 911s which you'd contributed to and chris had and various people had i think at that time he said 997 gt2 rs and you were talking about because that was such a yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a car. I change daily on the on what 997 is best. Um, the 4-litre is magic. It's absolutely magic, um, as the 3.8 is. But the 4-litre, just uh, that rose-jointed rear end and stuff, it just gives it a bit more accuracy. And because mm. it's torquier, it actually makes it easier to drive. So you get more access to what the chassis can do more often, I think. Yeah. I love that car. So it's worth the money, is it? Do you think a four litre over a three eight? Because they're a lot more expensive, aren't they? Um, it's probably not worth the money in a rational yeah. sense, but I absolutely understand people buying it. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, arguably you could very easily argue it's the best nine eleven ever made. I think. Yeah. Um, and the GT two RS is, is the same, except madder. Um, it's. It's such a savage car. Um, do you know one that is forgotten is the standard 997 GT2. Oh, which I love is, them. 
which is just wicked. And I think that's one of the best looking 911s ever. I love the detailing yeah. around the back. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. And and they sort of fly under the radar. People yeah. talk about them. But to me, that's much scarier than the RS. That thing was proper scary. Like it was stiffer, I think. It had, it was just an angry thing. And um, <laughs> they refined it a lot with the RS. And it, although it looks madder, I think the first gen car is actually a madder thing to try and drive on the road. Um but there's something special about 907s, I think. They're, they're just mm. great cars. And, and the GT2 RS is definitely one of the best. Um, yeah. Just the way they steer, you just get in them. Before you even bloody move, you know they're right. There's something yeah. about those cars. You sit down, turn the engine on, and you're like, this is going to be amazing. And it and it always is. I drove, I've driven a lot of 907. And the great thing about them, they're really trustworthy. Um and they're not terrifying in the sense of an old, you know, say a 993 GT2 can be, but they have enough fear in them. They just occasionally scare the crap out of you. And it's yeah. it's like, it's a really cool combination of this lovely car that you feel you can drive, but it's so fast it feels like it's going to pull wheelies. And then just occasionally it gives you a heart stopper. And I like that. I like yeah, that. that's the perfect yeah. I loved. I remember driving it up somewhere like Mont Blanc too, and it was like um, it was one of those roads you could sort of straight line, but it's weaving. Yeah, and was changing. You see rally cars on Instagram going over those roads, yes. scraping the bottom. And I was driving along there, and it was just every time the camber changed, it would just spin a wheel here or there, and it felt so scary but so cool at the same time. And I was like, yeah, this is. Yeah. This is like you feel you certainly know you're alive when yeah. you're one of those things. I, I I really love them. Yeah. Some some years ago there was a, a, a Porsche and Swindon. They had a 997 GT2 that was on their books for ages. And they brought it to a thing I went to at Bristol Heritage once. It was in a similar colour, not the same colour, but a similar colour to your 996. Oh right. So a real under the radar kind of colour. Yeah. I think it had comfort seats, you know, folding. And it was it could have been 120 grand. It was somewhere between 100 and 120 grand. And at that time, you know, a four liter RS was four hundred fifty grand or something. Yeah. I just thought, oh, I thought that's one of the best looking nine elevens ever. And it's, I thought that's that's about if, if if someone can afford it, they should be buying that. Yeah, no one talks about me either, but no. they're, they're great. They're, they're yeah, that whole era. I, it's really hard to choose for me. Um, my best nine, yeah, it would be it would be four liter RS, GT two RS, um, a two point seven RS. I absolutely love. So I probably have a couple of their cool things in there. But, yeah. But yeah, one of those last of the line nine nine sevens is probably yeah. probably the ultimate for me. Where, where do you sit on the nine nine one R versus nine nine one GT three touring oh, thing? Have you got a view on that? I think the nine nine one point two GT three is a lot better than a nine eleven R. That's All right. my honest opinion. I like the R, but um it's hard to describe the 993 it's almost like that's the that's how the car should be and then the 911r is when you make a deliberate decision to make it you know um more old school in feel or more feel something it's a funny the old 911s that we all revere they were that way because that was the best they could make them yeah and I feel like the GT3 was the best they could make it, and the R they changed to create a personality that that they didn't need to create because they already had it with the with the GT3. So that would be mine. And I also like GT3s to have wings. Yeah, 
<laughs> I, I was wondering if uh, if some of the difficulties, if that's the right word, maybe it isn't, that people are having with the 992 GT3 is that the touring thing, you know, in their mind, you know, what they want from the car or what yeah, they yeah. hope they're going to feel from the car isn't what they're getting. They're getting quite a hardcore, you know, it's, it says GT3 before it says touring. And maybe that juxtaposition isn't, maybe it's not quite working. Yeah, I think so. Maybe the touring phenomenon is strange. I, I get they look cool. Um, the the idea that they're undercover cracks me up. I mean, you see it and it's got giant 21-inch wheels and, and all the rest of it. They do not look in any way like a normal 911. They do look great, I have to say. Um, but, yeah, you could be right. I, I like the R. I think in isolation it's fantastic. But the, the 991.2 GT3, I think, is bang on. It's such a good car. Um, yeah. I don't see – because I don't place any rare uh, value on rarity at all because I love the way cars drive, I just can't fathom paying that much more for for a yeah. car that is not yeah. to drive it just doesn't it doesn't compute for me yeah. um, i think they're cool things but yeah no i'll go gt3 definitely yeah brilliant cool brilliant Excellent. i'm a bit conscious of your time i know you've got things to do but you know we could be here all afternoon if we're not careful but yeah. you know your your time in the states so you're at home at the moment you're in between shooting for top gear america yeah so top gear america we did two seasons and now i don't quite know what's happening um which seems to be the way with this tv stuff especially in the states and especially when you've got so many people involved um so yeah i hope we get to do it again because we actually it's not an easy thing to do like the Mm. weight of expectation on anything that has top gear written on it is huge um there's some people who will never like anything that has top gear written on it that isn't the, the original three guys yeah, yeah. totally understand but we did our own thing uh, i think we did it pretty well um season one is pretty good but we, you know we never met each other we didn't know the crew you know it was a whole new thing and then season two is is pretty good i think and and rob and dax who i did it with are great they're, they're like i got nothing but good things to say about them um dax is absolutely out of his mind um absolutely out of his mind drives like a complete lunatic um and it, it just he's just a lunatic it just is what you see on the screen but he's mad yeah. and he cracks me up and then rob is just he's just out there it, it, i just uh i love being around him he's such a funny dude um he's funny in what he says and he's funny in the way he behaves when he's off camera i want a I think someone should just do a show on him, just following him around. (laughs) He's just one of those dudes. He's fascinating and hilarious. And I deeply admire both of them come from an improv comedy background. Um, And part of why I love love the job that I do, but I also appreciate experiencing new things and meeting different people who do things completely different. And the way they can switch on and just deliver a comedy skit basically out of thin air, it blows my mind. It's yeah. something to behold. Like Rob, in one of the series, Rob did a thing. We're all working out what we're going to do with these cars. We had a GT4 and a Corvette and a Lotus Bora. And Rob was like, oh, I'm going to do a thing where I just give them names and I'm going to like do a little bit about what I'm going to call them. And I'm like, this sounds terrible. Like, how is this going to be good? Yeah, it does sound terrible. <laughs> it sounds terrible, right? And then, so they park the cars up. He walks up to them. There's like 50 people around filming. 
And just off the top of his head, he probably does 45 minutes of improv naming each of the cars. And the crew are literally cracking up, having to stifle their laughs because they're filming. I was watching and was cracking up. And I'm just like, how do you do this? Where does that imagination... That's gold, isn't it? He is genius. Um, And they can both do it. I mean, I was basically there to stop them doing that for three hours at a time because I had to like (laughs) knock them back into the direction of what we were doing. Um, But it was a brilliant experience. And... I hope it comes back, but if it doesn't, I got to do something cool, and not many yeah. people can say they had a TV show in America in their career. So if, yeah. if that's if that's all she wrote on Top Gear, it'd be a shame. But I'm glad I did it, and I met some really cool people, and it's a it's a window into a whole different world, and it's great. Yeah, I, I, I can ring Dax and go and stay at his house, and there's like all these actors and comedians who come over it's like a whole different world and it, it's great yeah. it's great to just get a little taste of that sometimes crazy yeah. what a, what an experience yeah it was really fun it was really fun and uh, yeah yeah, I would, yeah i'd recommend it if anyone offers you a tv show in america go and do it it's quite a laugh it's quite a laugh <laughs> oh, <laughs> well well we're, we're really grateful for your time uh today and your insight and your and uh, all your stories, Jeff. I really thank you very much. No, yeah. I've enjoyed um, it, and I'm sorry if I went on too long. No, no, no. You know, this is this is a safe this is a safe zone for Porsche <laughs> for Porsche indulgence and Porsche geekery and all that sort of thing. This is where it happens. No, I'm sorry we didn't get onto code names and uh, paint oh. sample colours. No, no, no. We we don't do need that. to do that. We can do that no. next time. That's for next time. But you know, as Andy said, you know, there's been such an appetite to have you on. People have been. Uh, you know, we have a really tight uh, community, a really engaged uh, community in Nineworks. So many people have been saying, you've got to get Jethro one. We want to hear, you know, about okay, this well, car and hear his story. And I can always come back and we could do like just a questions one or something like that. Okay? Yeah, yeah, oh, that'd, yeah that'd be, be great. Fantastic. That'd be great, you know. That's cool. Until you go out to the States again, we're really happy to have you here. You know, we want to read copy. We want to... Yes, you know. I will be doing as much as I can for Eva. I'm still doing quite a lot for those guys. So I'll... Um, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be as everywhere I can. Anyone who'll pay me, basically. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> we need to get you on T nine eleven as well. We can get. Oh yeah, the ideas are coming. The ideas are flowing. <laughs> Just give me a call anytime. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks, Jethro. We really thank you so it. much. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Bye. This episode was brought to you by our very kind Driven Not Hidden Collective. If you would like to join the collective to get further access and rewards within the Nineworks community, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Nineworks. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcast app.